So, Matt, since everybody's been getting a little more environmentally conscious here lately, you know, and and everything, and, and I've had a lot of time at home to do, you know, not a whole lot. So I decided yeah. that I was going to make me a, a new environmentally conscious suit. So I made it out of cactuses that I have in my yard. Uh, that sounds comfortable. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> I, I look really sharp in it. <laughs> oh, man. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm doing okay tonight. Uh, still still in quarantine as we uh, we record this. Right. And, um, we, well, we, I'm not. <laughs> no. And Ashley and I and Michael are, but you still have to trudge on in and get yeah. suited up to do your job. So I, I don't know how it is in Dallas, but uh, up here, when you're out on the roads, it it looks like business as usual. There's just a certain number of stores that are closed. Yeah. You know, originally, um, when they first did the shutdown, the interstates looked like interstates on the movie Zombieland. They were just desolate, you know? Yeah. Um, but the longer it's gone on, the more people are out driving. And, and it's either people going to work as normal or it's people just going out for drives we've done that yeah. just got to yeah, get we, out and drive to get out of the house yeah i know we're we're seeing seeing a lot of that here and with the with the parks closed mm-hmm. there's really you know there's there's not a lot to do right um, e- even if you do go out you know there's the, you can't you can't go in any restaurants right you know there there's like the, you can go to the grocery store mm-hmm that's but, not not a good idea to make that a family outing. No, it's not. Leave I most tried, everybody at tried home. Tried to avoid that before, anyway. Yeah, no joke. Um, but one thing, Matt, you know, with this quarantine and everybody being in quarantine, we got these people who, TV stars, movie stars, they've decided that they want to start a podcast. They're like, oh, hey, this will be fun, and so they get on there, and then they knock us down and the ratings and this is why we ask you guys all the time to rate and review us because the little guys like matt and i get knocked down in the charts because of these movie stars and tv stars that have i mean their face is out there they're well known already so they bring in 1.3 million twitter followers into their podcast and then you and I are just kind of obliterated in the chart. So we ask you guys to help. And this is not just for me and Matt. This is for all of the indie podcasts that you listen to. Right. You know, you want to ask these people, you know, that have these podcasts and also are in movies. Say, look, just give us something. Let us have something, please. You know, <laughs> but yeah. they're bored and, and they want to do a podcast, which is fine. 
but they have people to edit for them. They have people to promote it for them. They have a, a built-in audience and all this. And and that's all us, Matt. We record yeah, it. We yeah, research we, it. We do it all. I do the editing on Adam, it. Adam, and, Adam does it all. <laughs> and and so it it you know I'm not complaining. I just want people to know that when Dak Shepard puts out a podcast, he's on movies and he doesn't need this. And and we need <laughs> we need it. Yeah, you know, and and you know, it's if if you know you're a big fan of of his or whoever's, and they're putting out a show, you know, that's fine. You know, go listen yeah. to it. You know, chances are, if it's maybe half of these are going to be worth listening to anyway. Um, but you know, give it a couple months, and they're going to be gone. You know, they they're gonna get life is gonna go back to normal. They're gonna go back to work and this podcast is gonna be a thing of the past. Right. But for guys like Adam and me, and for the folks that are, are our friends that are independent podcasters and you hear us, you know, talk about them on the show, um, you know, we, we promote their shows, they promote our show, you know, the way the the Apple uh algorithm works is the the ratings you know the number of ratings puts you up so that when mm-hmm. somebody goes hey i'm looking for a new podcast let's find one about the paranormal okay the odds are better that our show and our friends shows are gonna pop up on that list and because somebody has, even if you went on there and said, these guys are total morons, that helps us. Yeah. Now, we, we, we may take it to heart, you know. <laughs> right. But. I'll it, cry a little it bit. Still, it still benefits us because the, the way it works is they're looking for the number of reviews, the mm-hmm. number of people to push you up a little bit higher. And and that's what's going to make a big difference. Um, not, like I said, not just for us, but like you know, our, our the shows that our 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 friends record. You know, so if if you found a show because we promoted it, or if you've got an independent podcast that you enjoy listening to, take the time to go and help that show out, and leave uh, a, a review, a rating and review on iTunes. It, right. If you if you want them to be able to stick around, you know, help them out. It doesn't cost you anything, but about not even five minutes to do, and it really keeps them where other people can find that show. Right. So, and these independent podcasts like us, they they put their blood, sweat, and tears into this show, and it takes them a lot more time to produce one episode than it would to do one review. And now, more than ever, do independent podcasts need your support? Because a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're driving to and from work or while they're sitting at their desk at work. Mm -hmm. Podcast listening has gone down since the quarantine, believe it or not, because people aren't listening to it driving to and from work. So now more than ever, those independent shows that you love that you listen to on a weekly basis or or a bi-monthly basis, they need your support. We need your support. So get out there, all that, all of this whole rant to say, you know, 
write a review for an independent podcaster, not for Dak Shepard and his people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm only saying Dak Shepard because Ashley loves the Dak Shepard podcast, and I don't have anything against it. I just wanted to bring it up so I could yeah. do a little dig yeah. at Ashley. So to get off that little soapbox, we wanted to thank tonight's sponsor, Care Of. We'll talk a little bit more about them later on in the show. We also wanted to thank podbelly network go check out podbelly.com to find other independent podcasts like we were talking about and to show your support for independent independent podcasts go to podbelly.com and check them out now we've rambled enough matt that's right we're kicking the kicking the soapbox to the curb exactly get off our soapboxes and matt tell us what are we talking about tonight brother Tonight, we are going to talk about, here come the men in black. (laughs) But not Will Smith, though. But not Will Smith and not the movie. We're talking about the real men in black Mm -hmm. and what they're all about. And why are they pestering all of these ufologists and researchers and eyewitnesses? (laughs) And why are they so weird? That's right. That's right. It's almost like they 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 can't fit in for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's an interesting topic that I'm sure you've heard people talk about before, but you know, it's usually in in line with some other topic that the men in black are associated with. Right. So we wanted to kind of do just Let's just talk about the MIB for an episode. That's right. That's right. So we're going to discuss how this came to be, uh, where they where they came from, how they started, and we're going to talk about some personal experiences that people have had where it was strange enough that they had a, a UFO sighting or had actually sometimes collected something from a, a possible UFO landing mm-hmm. and then to have these strange men show up and have and it wasn't me or Matt a lot of questions <laughs> all right so Adam so tell us tell us about the men in black all right so much of what we know about the men in black comes from the cases that involve the mothman so if you've heard a podcast talking about the Mothman, you have heard about the Men in Black. But we need to kind of dive into some of the oddness from these Men in Black in the Mothman cases. And again, like we always say, if you want to get further into it, go check out our sources where we're getting all this info. It's down at the bottom of our show notes. So go check that out after you listen to us. Well, the Men in Black, or the MIB, as we may say several times throughout this show, are, quote, mysterious strangers that reportedly attempt to threaten witnesses and reporters of strange occurrences such as the Mothman and other odd, weird things into silence. Now, some are reported as having dark features, kind of an Eastern European look to them, expressionless faces, and strange eyes sometimes covered by dark sunglasses. So those like the 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 ZZ Top song, Cheap Sunglasses. Think yeah. of that. You know, they got these real dark 
frames, dark glasses that you can see yourself in but can't see their eyes. Yeah, they got the the wayfarers on. Yeah, there you go. Wayfarers um, on, baby. <laughs> and uh, their movements often appear to be inhuman in nature. So, like, you know, in movies they show people that are supposed to be alien or from another dimension and, and their movements are like jerky or they're real, their walk is real strange, kind of like floppy legged and stuff. These men in black s- tend to have that a lot. It, it's really weird um, when you get into descriptions of how they walk. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like their, their joints are, are not functioning correctly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, their their knees don't bend right. Their their wrists do weird things. Yeah, it's like the Ministry of Silly Walks. You there know? you go. There you go. Yep. <laughs> it's like trying to get a flamingo to walk the way we do. You know, their knees are supposed to bend the wrong <laughs> way, knees, but they're somehow moving them the right they're back, way. They're backwards. You know? Yeah. Wouldn't that be weird to watch a yeah, backward knee? Per- really Which makes me think about that. Uh, one of the first memes I ever saw way back in the day was. What would chairs look like if humans' knees bent backwards? <laughs> and it was just weird shaped chairs and stuff. So interesting to think about just on a side note. You can go down that rabbit hole after you listen yeah. to this. Start start looking at memes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An hour later, you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah, no joke. Um. Well, the men in black usually travel in groups of two or three, um, and they have this knack for knowing things about the witnesses that they're taunting at the time with this information. So it's like things that only the witness themselves would know, and these MIB seem to know it, and, and they poke at them with that knowledge. Um, there were even reports of them being masters of illusion um, by being able to make themselves appear and disappear without a trace. Now, some have reported them carrying sophisticated gadgets, in quotes, um, and one woman claimed that the MIB erased part of her memory. So that's where we get the little thing in the Men in Black movie where they erase their memory. Yeah. Now, some MIB are even reported to dress in Air Force or military uniforms, but there's always something about these uniforms that's a little bit off, like the insignia being worn in the wrong place or wearing the wrong shoes. So it's stuff that, like, if you were in the military, and I know this from my grandparents, if you were in the military and any of your little badges or insignia were off, you'd get reamed for it. Mm -hmm. And it's... A lot of a lot of times, it's only something that someone in the military would notice, but it's a big deal, a big signifier that you don't know what you're doing if you do that. Right, right, yeah, and I think everybody has seen the old uh, f- flat foot black loafer type shoe that yeah <laughs> seems to be af- affiliated with you know G men. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, if they show up wearing. Uh, Birkenstocks. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait a minute. You now don't have it, you don't here. have any fashion sense. <laughs> right. Um, another thing is they they sometimes are driving a car that's not standard for a military officer. So 
just like police officers usually drive a certain vehicle for that department, um, the military do the same thing. Yeah. They they buy a bunch of, you know, Dodge Chargers, and that's what everybody drives. Yeah. You know? Used, and, to, be, used to be a Crown Vic. Yeah. You know, yep, yep. Ford LTD roll-up. Yep. You know, some some sedan. Yeah. So if, uh, if they if show you, up in an Audi or a Tesla, you know something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, roll up in a Hyundai. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a government like, issue wait. Hyundai there. <laughs> it, and it's like lime green or something. Yeah. Wait a well, minute. They step out looking all important. You're like, look, sir, I can't take you seriously in your lime green Hyundai. You know. But you got but Adam's Adam's right though. Spinner they, they, rims they, on this thing. They they do try uh, uh, apparently to look like they belong to a government agency. So we're 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 making jokes about the car. But imagine if if a police officer came up in I don't know say a uh, an unmarked car. Mm-hmm you would have an expectation of what that unmarked car would look like. Typically, yep. you know, it would be a sedan, you know, a four-door sedan, probably black, dark blue, maybe white. Um, So, it, you know, something outside of that, but maybe not so far off that it looked like somebody was trying and just missed the mark. Yeah. Same with the with the logos and insignias or badges or whatever. It's close, and and regular people might not even notice. But it's like the old saying, you know, when you see a guy with no eyebrows, and I've said mm-hmm. this before, you're you're like, there's something off about you to make me want to take the next elevator. Yep. And that's kind of what it is. You're like, yeah, they seem legit, but there's something off. Yep, and that that's true, and then you know. A lot of a lot of these cases that we will get into have little things like that. It may not be something huge. It may be something very little that throws you off. Well, Mrs. Ralph Butler of Awatona, Minnesota, said an officer visited her in May of 1967, and he went by the name Richard French. Now he was about five foot nine inches tall, and he had an olive complexion with dark long hair and a very pointed face. His clothing appeared to be brand new. Even the soles of his shoes were clean and unscuffed, and this is a common thread with a lot of these sightings. Perfectly pressed clothes, brand new looking. Um, and when Miss Butler offered him some Jello, he tried to drink the Jello and acted like he'd never seen it before. Now, two things about that. One... I, I don't know of anybody who just offers Jello when you show up at their house. <laughs> you know. Wait. Okay. Tangent time. Yep. Okay. When I was in college, um, we had a friend whose mom would offer you Jello whenever you came. Really? Was her name uh, Butler? Maybe. <laughs> no. No. Okay. No. In fact, they were they were from India, and you'd you'd come by you know we'd we'd carpool back to you know back to nashville Mm -hmm. um you know for the 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 few of us that that were from nashville living living in memphis 
And whenever you had to stop by this guy's house, you knew you were going to get offered Jello. And, I like and Jello, so that's I do cool. Too. But you took it because you didn't mm-hmm. want to be rude, even sure. though, you know, I, I I don't really want any Jello right now. Yeah, <laughs> but you accepted the Jello. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You never turn down a woman's Jello. I mean, being from the South, if you go in a woman's house, I. I I don't know. I get it. Maybe it's just a Southern thing. Maybe it's all over, but you know, most of the time you are offered food, you know, yeah. especially if they're family, you, you go in and honey, you just, you look like you hadn't been eating. You were just skin and bones. You need, it's like, look, grandma, I'm 80 pounds overweight. I don't need you to keep feeding me food, but you know, going to shove food down you. And even if it's jello and that's what, miss ralph butler did is is she got a visitor and she offered him jello and i guess he thought it was a drink of some sort because yeah. he tried to drink it now you work hard enough you can drink jello i mean you know you gotta suck it through your teeth and kind of mush it up a little bit but you can drink it you can i don't yeah. remember you, you used to drink jello water when you were yeah. sick from school yep yeah, I I just ate a lot of uh, Jello water because I couldn't wait for it to solidify. <laughs> so, oh, wasn't like, that the best though? You got it like mm-hmm. before it was yeah, completely right solidified. It was cool, it, but not solid. Yeah, you get that kind of soupy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, and hope hope y'all are enjoying the Jello show. <laughs> right, this is. Jello this has gone off the rails and Matt, the Jello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get back on the topic, but we're going to come back to Jello later. We can't not talk about Jello for a while. Um, well, the MIB are said to have had strange eating behaviors too, just like sucking Jello through your teeth as a strange eating behavior. Um, well, witnesses say they really didn't know how to use a knife and a fork, and in one case of an MIB at a restaurant, a waitress actually had to come over and show the man how to cut his steak using the knife and fork. Now, could have been MIB or it could have been really drunk because I've seen those people in Waffle House early in the morning. They forget how to use a knife and fork. Um, Well, apparently this man also did not chew his food and he just kind of swallowed it. So cut a piece of steak, throw it in, swallow it like a bird. Um, Well, many have thought of them as, quote, mysterious beings of unknown origin who are poorly pretending to be human. So we kind of touched on that a little bit ago is you're trying to act human, walk human, but you're not doing good. You know, you're (laughs) yeah, you are you are a sad excuse for a human being, which that just sounds like a burn. And I did not mean that as a burn. Um. Well, some MIB are put into the category of photographers. Now, they would take photos of witnesses or investigators, often using a camera that had a blindingly bright flash, which could surprise or disorient the person while the stranger ran or drove away. So they're doing something. They're like ninjas. Yeah, right. They got a little flash bomb that they're throwing at you. Well, In October of 1967, a man in Ohio was returning home from work. He opened the door to his apartment to find an intruder standing in his living room. 
The man said, quote, I think he dressed all in black. I couldn't see his face, but he was about five feet, nine inches. I started to fumble for the light switch when he took my picture. There was a big flash of light, so bright I couldn't see a thing. And then the stranger darted past him and went out the open door. And the guy realized that nothing in his apartment had been stolen. So there was somebody in, I guess, doing observational work. And he walked in on it. And the guy just blinded him with the camera and ran off. So one of the few times you can say you got flashed and it wasn't that bad. You know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> These photographers would also take pictures of houses after the owner had been witness to something strange. So you see a UFO sighting, then these photographers show up and they're taking pictures of your house. Now, they'd apparently pull up in black Cadillacs, take out a big tripod and a heavy camera, set this camera on the tripod and snap a picture of the house, then put it all back in the car and quickly drive away without ever going up to the door or talking to the person at all. So, really weird. You go through all this. Now, I guess, you know, back in the day, you had to have something like that. It's not like you had a camera phone or anything. So, but you set up the tripod and you get this thing set up. You take a picture and then you pack it off. It looks like, it sounds like something out of a movie. Yeah, they set up the big camera with the big accordion lens. Mm -hmm. And they they get under the, uh, underneath the, the, the drape. And they, hold, they, they hold up the thing with the flash powder on it. <laughs> they, yep. They've got a picture of your house, and then they pack all that. You're watching them for like 15 minutes because it takes forever to do yeah, something right. like this. They're, you're going, going, why? What why is going on? This? I don't, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you try that nowadays. You, you, you try to snap a picture of somebody's house with your phone, and you're driving by. They're like chasing you down the street. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> People were a lot more trusting back then than they are uh, now. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we, we talked about generalizations of the men in black. So we got to get into one of the quote unquote first ever men in black sightings. So, Matt, why don't you tell us about that one? Yeah. So 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 well, let's just get into it and you, you'll kind of see where this goes. So on June 21st, 1947, a man named Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island. Now, he was gathering logs when he says he saw six donut-shaped obstacles hovering about a half a mile above his boat. Donut-shaped. And that's consistent with every story. Donut shape. Every time I've read this particular story, it specifically says donut shaped. So (laughs) either he was hungry or something. Not saucer, you know, not flattened disc, donut shaped. Yeah. But I mean, that brings up a point that for depending on the decade, depending on the time frame, they describe these unknown craft in different ways you know for a while it was donut shaped then it was triangular then it was uh you know saucer and it depended on the time so that time frame that we're talking about it was donut shaped yeah so in my head here's harold in a boat looking up and he goes oh 
<laughs> but, but but he says before long, one of these these objects that he saw fell nearly fifteen hundred feet, followed by raining metallic debris. Some of which Harold says hit his son Charles on the arm, as well as their dog who didn't survive this incident. This incident. Now, Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, a man named Fred Crisman. Now, Crisman was skeptical when he went back and took a look for himself at the scene, and he saw these aircraft with his own eyes. So it wasn't like they were here and they were gone. You know, Dahl was able to go and get Crisman and come back and go, hey, look, there they are. So yep, they stuck they hung around, around for a which while. is unusual. But the next morning, Dahl said he was visited by a man in a black suit. He said they ended up at a local diner where the man was able, able to recount in extraordinary detail what Dahl had just seen. What he said was, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. Now, this is according to Gray Barker's book, uh, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. So, Dahl said he was told not to speak of this, and if he did, bad things would happen. So, Dahl and Crisman decided to contact Kenneth Arnold, who was a pilot, who had his own UFO sighting just three days after the Maury Island incident. Now, interestingly enough, Arnold would be credited with the first reported UFO sighting in the modern era. So the very first report belongs to this man that Dahl and Chrisman contacted. Mm -hmm. Now, as the story goes, Arnold sent two Army A-2 intelligence officers to Maury Island to help with the investigation and try to verify Dahl and Chrisman's claims. According to reports, the officers determined that the mysterious metal was aluminum and of really no interest. That's not mysterious. Yeah. However, they did not report this to Arnold as they didn't want to embarrass him. So the officers left the area the next day in a B-25 that caught fire and crashed. So that's, Weird. that seems mysterious. Yeah. But that incident didn't really get any, any big play up. Now, it mm -hmm. did with... And, and it has, over time, it's gotten a lot more attention from, you know, UFO theorists. Um, but at the time, it didn't seem like a very big deal. Nope, nobody was reporting on it. So eventually, the FBI would determine that Dahl and Chrisman's story was a hoax. And the two of them pretty much admitted to it. They, had, they said they had hoped the story would gain traction and garner them a little cash. But even if the Maury Island incident didn't happen, it sparked the concept that perhaps there is a secret agency of men in black 
working to quiet potential UFO exposure. Right. So this this is this is kind of where it all begins. And and we included this story because of its significance in, in being the first really known report of what we would consider the men in black. Even right. even if it was made up. And and so that's going to come up as you hear some of these other experiences are people just taking this story and putting it to whatever experience they had mm-hmm. are the descriptions based solely on this original story. And they've just been embellished over the years. It's kind of like the, um, the Whitley Stryber thing, the, yeah. the, the description of the aliens, the close encounters of the third kind. Everybody gets this idea that, these aliens have these thin bodies and these large heads and these big almond shaped eyes that are black. And the next thing you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of reports of these alien beings that look exactly like that. Mm-hmm. So either they're real and that's exactly what they look like, or that's what everybody has in their head. Right. So we're we're gonna get it's into the some of these stories. Or the egg thing. Yeah, we're gonna get into these stories so that you guys can be the judge. Which is what we love to do is make you guys judge, and and we won't. You know, we just present the facts. All right. So following the doll experience in 1953, a UFO researcher named Albert Bender claimed to have been visited by three mysterious men in black. Um who he claimed that they frightened him so much that he no longer wanted to investigate UFOs. So we need to talk about Bender a little bit here and find out who Albert Bender was and why it's such a big deal for this thing to make him stop researching UFOs. Now, this is an article from Bridgeport Library about Albert Bender. Now, it says Albert K. Bender was born in Duria, Pennsylvania. I know I pronounced that wrong, but whatever. He was born on June 16, 1921, and Bender served in the U.S. Army Air Force during World War II from June 8, 1942 to October 7, 1943 as a stateside dental technician. Now, after his honorable discharge from active service at Langley Field, Virginia, Bender relocated to Bridgeport with his mother, Ellen, and stepfather, Michael. Now, he lived in the attic and its small connected den of his stepfather's three-story Broad Street home. Now, at some point when Bender entered his late 20s, Albert adorned his room and everything with collections of, quote, monstrosities. Um, I don't like that term that they use, but I'm reading it. Um, (laughs) Monstrosities. Yeah, it, it was fake skulls, shrunken heads, and his own original outsider art. So he sounds a lot like me. Yeah, this, um, is, and this I, is Adam we're discussing. Yeah, I take a little bit of offense to the term monstrosities for that, but whatever. A- Adam K. Bender. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Albert's unique appreciation for the supernatural coincided with a rash of well-publicized flying saucer sightings 
in the American West during the late 1940s. Now, this prompted Bender to form one of America's uh, first UFO organizations. In 1952, the Park City resident organized the International Flying Saucer Bureau. World War I flying ace and CEO of Eastern Airlines, Eddie Rickenbacker, became an honorary member. Albert Einstein actually declined the invitation. I don't know why. You know why? Why? Because International Flying Saucer Bureau sounds like something on a kid's t-shirt. It kind of does, yeah. It's, it's like female body inspector. You know? Yeah. You should should have come up with something a little better. Um, but that, that's what it was. It was the uh, International Flying Saucer Bureau. Now, the Bureau's 600 worldwide members with Bender as president were dedicated to furthering the study of these mysterious craft. Its headquarters were located in Albert's home. Now, shortly after its founding, the IFSB reached out to members around the world through a quarterly journal called Space Review. And there may be some people listening out there who actually remember this Space Review um, journal. I would have loved to have read some of these. Oh, yeah. Um, Of course, course nowadays, (laughs) there's millions of these. Yeah. They're, They're all online. Right. Well, and that, that's the problem. There's so many of them, and it's so easily accessed. You know, this was something that was, I mean, it, it took time to produce and, and to yeah. mail out and everything. So, you know, I, that's why I would like to see one of these. It was yeah. one of the originals. And and you know these sightings were fascinating. They just, I mean, I, I can only imagine. It, I wish I could get my hands on some of the uh, at least replications. You know, if you, if not a legit one, I want to see a replica of one of these quarterly journals. I mean, just just think, just think, right, for a minute about living in the United States in the late 1940s and early 50s, and this going on. Because I mean, this was the boom. This this was right on the cusp. Of right. the UFO boom, and you've got folks out putting, you know, all their time and effort into these handmade journals and yep. documents, and there, there was there was no Google. They, I mean, they were having to write letters through the mail to correspond with other members and and eyewitnesses and right. long, long distance phone calls. I mean. They, they weren't, you know, you, you could t- you could make a long distance phone call and it'd be like three minutes. And then, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure his stepfather's like, Albert, Albert, get <laughs> off the phone. You're costing me money. You know, right. so that this this really was an amazing time. To, this was boots to, on to be, the ground to be into UFOs. Yeah. I mean, it was so new and so unusual that I mean, it would have been it would have been amazing to to yeah. be a part of of something like that. And I say that because I I know how it is now. Mm-hmm. And to think back how how cool it would have been, but just imagine if you didn't know what you know now. You you, you weren't inundated with it. Right. You know, online and in movies and on television that it, it was just, it, it was amazing. 
you yeah. know, to be and living. Matt and this. I would have been a part of this. We would have found oh, a way yeah. if we lived. If we lived at that time, we would have been a part of the IFSB just for this. And and I would have signed up to be one of the boots on the ground researchers. That just you know, I mean, that to me that that's uh, even now. When you get some a researcher that's doing boots on the ground research, that just amazes me. When they go to these places and they investigate and they they interview witnesses and everything, that that's all this was. You couldn't do a Zoom meeting with these people, and you know, or send them an email or whatever. You had to go talk to them or write them a letter, and yeah. it was amazing. All right, Matt, so let's take a second and talk about tonight's sponsor, Care Of. And Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Now, Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals very attainable. They have an easy online quiz that helps you find the vitamins and powders that will support your specific health goals, like improving your fitness routine and managing stress. And you know, Adam, Kerov is really focused on the quality, science, and research that goes into each of their products and recommendations. All you have to do is take this short online quiz, answer some questions about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle, and Kerov will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements specifically for your health needs and goals. And and the quiz is fun. Uh, it's it's not like some goofy uh, questionnaire you have to take in the back <laughs> right. of a magazine, you know. It, and it's easy. They're simple questions. You're not going to be asked a bunch of hard medical questions or things you don't understand. It's going to be things that you know about yourself. And mm-hmm. you take the quiz. They make recommendations based on what you want to achieve from the supplements you take. Amanda and I did it, and and we love it. It makes it so easy. Uh, you get one simple little packet and you know, hey, I know exactly what I'm taking and I don't have to fiddle with a whole bunch of bottles. Right. So if if that sounds like that would simplify your life, then you need to check out Care Of. And right now is a great time to do it. For Graveyard Tales listeners, you can get 50% off your first Care Of order. All you have to do is go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code GRAVE50. That's right. To get 50% off your first care of order, you go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code GRAVE50. That's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. Well, this newsletter shared stories of UFO sightings and offered theories about the origins of these seemingly inexplicable objects. Well, no sooner had Bender commenced the IFSB than odd occurrences started plaguing him in Bridgeport. He ended up having ill health, getting strange phone calls, and telepathic messages that hounded the researcher. So he he was getting telepathic messages all the time. Now, these events coincidentally mirrored an outbreak of UFO sightings over southern Connecticut. In addition, Albert felt as if he was being watched. November 1952, at a local movie theater, Bender realized a strange man with glowing eyes observing him. And while walking home along Main Street, Albert was shadowed. 
Now, on a separate occasion, late one night on Broad Street, Bender reported he was telepathically hypnotized and levitated. But the worst phenomena was the sickening odor that filled his attic room, the stench of burning sulfur. So, we've talked about it before, and I want to get into it at another time, but the smells that are associated with different phenomena. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sulfur is, is a big one. But we always place sulfur as something evil. Yeah. If you smell sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't normally think of it as UFO, but we do think of it as paranormal. And he was experiencing a lot of paranormal stuff, not just UFO related stuff. Now, sequestered in his Broad Street home, Albert blended his UFO research with mental telepathy. To further his experiments, Bender prompted readers of Space Review with an audacious request. Memorize and silently recite on a particular day and time a form letter penned by Bender. Now, Albert's goal was to connect with alien life via the simultaneous thought projections of hundreds of IFSB members. World Contact Day, or as Bender and the IFSB officially preferred, C-Day, would commence at 6 o'clock in the evening on March 15, 1953. Now, the noble telepathic message opened with, quote, Calling occupants of interplanetary craft, calling occupants of interplanetary craft that have been observing our planet Earth, we of IFSB wish to make contact with you. We are your friends. Now, Bender's message did not go over too well. His rooms continued to fill with the smell of sulfur, and he was telepathically ordered to cease delving into matters that were not of his concern. Well, a yellow mist gathered in his attic uh, around that same time. Well, undeterred, Bender announced that the July issue of Space Review would hold a, quote, startling revelation, but it never appeared in print. Let's get into why it never appeared in print. In July 1953, Albert Bender was visited at his home by three men. Bender stated, quote, All of them were dressed in black clothes. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to the Homburg style. Now, the Homburg style is a Winston Churchill style hat. Mm -hmm. If you remember the hat, Winston Churchill, that's, that's the kind of hats that they were wearing. The notorious men in black, always in threes, made it clear to Bender that he was to immediately halt all UFO work. They communicated telepathically with him and said, quote, stop publishing. Before departing, the MIB confiscated copies of Space Review, and in their wake, a yellow fog materialized in the upstairs room of his Broad Street home. Now, again, the vile odor of sulfur wafted through the attic. Unnerved by their otherworldly presence, Albert shuddered that he was, quote, scared to death and was unable to eat for days. Now, the telepathic message headaches and his being stalked and, of course, the surreal warnings by authoritarians in black suits compelled Albert to shut down the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Now, a year and a half after founding the IFSB, the final issue of Space Review was released in October 1953. It included a cryptic message and warnings. Quote, the mystery 
of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information, we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. End quote. Now, in 1956, fellow IFSB member Gray Barker penned the book they knew too much about flying saucers that Matt talked about earlier. In these pages, Barker detailed Albert's Bridgeport experiences and introduced the world to the evocatively menacing phrase, Men in Black, a decade after his own brush with aliens. Bender chronicled his strange personal story in a bizarre expose entitled Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Albert stressed how the dark-suited visitors were mind-manipulating silencers. Abandoning his forays into the supernatural and UFO research, Albert Bender departed Bridgeport and relocated to California three years after publishing his autobiography. Bender passed away at the age of 94 on March 29, 2016. So that was weird. Oh, yeah, that's that's way weird. I'm, I'm glad I, to see that he lived in 94, though. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, they didn't, didn't, he didn't have didn't some weird, him. untimely demise. Right, right. And, you know, that article, I thought, summed up everything because I, I was looking into Bender and I was like, man, we could do a whole episode on just Albert Bender and his, you know, IFSB and his life and all that. And maybe we can and will. But that article did a great job of summing it up into into something that we could talk about in the episode. And, you know, the thing is, Albert Bender was not the only person to have experiences like that. And he wasn't the last person to have experiences like that. Right. And there were there were so many more. And we're going to talk about a few of them. And 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 this one is is really unique because. Not only. Did this uh, this couple in this story feel like they were being stalked and watched? They actually managed to get a photograph. Okay, which is crazy. And and this is probably the 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 most well known, but definitely the earliest image of a man in black taken in 1968 in Jersey City where a UFO researcher named Jack Robinson lived with his wife, Mary. The couple began to notice something strange going on when they would come home to find that their house seemed to have been searched or rummaged through. And, and they even say it looked like it had been ransacked at times. It's, that would be unnerving. Yes. But they said especially their files on the UFO phenomena. Although... There was never any sign of forced entry or burglary. So it was almost like somebody had a key or had a way to get in that they didn't have to break in. Right. Now, shortly after this, Mary claimed that she began to notice an odd stranger dressed in all black and wearing sunglasses hanging around the area of their apartment. And he could sometimes be seen staring up at their window. Now, this was pretty scary. And the couple got a little freaked out. So um, somebody we've talked about on the show before, Nick Redfern, who is considered an expert on the MIB phenomenon. And he wrote 
a number of books on this, including The Real Men in Black, talks about this particular stranger and what happened next in, in an interview with New Dawn magazine. Now, Nick says, Mary said he had an unsettling look on his face, kind of unemotional and zombie-like. Mary happened to mention this to Tim and Jim, and because the guy appeared three days in a row, they decided to drive over early one morning and see if they could see the man in black. Sure enough, he was there, staring ahead with the black sunglasses, long black coat, and enigmatic stare. So Beckley allegedly came by one day when the man was prowling about and managed to capture a photograph of him before he managed to get away. Now, I've looked at the picture and I would say inconclusive is the least you could say about this photograph, <laughs> but it is believed to be one of the first and clearest photos of the alleged men in black. And when, when you look at the, you got to remember, you know, this is 1968, yeah. you know, so it, it's an odd looking photograph. It, to me, it looks like an album cover. Like if you wrote Led Zeppelin across the top of it, I'd totally believe it. That well, right. I, this is a Led Zeppelin album I didn't know existed. Um, but it, but it is a strange photograph, and I mean there it, there's a man in the picture, and he's just kind of standing there, and he's dressed in black, and he's got on a hat. He's not he's not wearing sunglasses that I remember. But either way, the whole idea of of somebody like this kind of just lingering around and every time you turn around he seems to be there mm -hmm. sometimes even looking up at your apartment and you add all of that to the fact that it seemed like their apartment was getting routinely ransacked that'd be too much man I mean, that that'd be i mean i i get kind of freaked out when i come home and I knew I was the last one that left and I'm the first one back home and mm -hmm. something's sitting out. Yeah. That I, yeah. was that sit. Did I leave this out? Did, mm -hmm. did I, why wouldn't I see this and put it away before I walked out the door? You know, so I, I typically call yeah. Amanda. Did you come home in the middle of the day? Did you? <laughs> Cause yeah. Right. It's free. So imagine you walk in and, and it looks like, God dang, somebody's been in my house looking for something. Mm -hmm. All your drawers pulled out yeah. and stuff tipped over. and So, I mean, that, that would be enough to creep you out. And, and so the backstory makes the photo a, a, a little more creepy. Right. When you, when you, when you just go and Google it, it's, you'll see a hundred images of it. I mean, it's pretty famous. Um, just Google the, the Tim, Tim Green Beckley photo. And this is the one you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Now, this next encounter was reported by Robert Richardson in 1967. It, isn't it curious how these things are all kind of happening in a big bulk of time? You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at, at all these reports in there from, you know, the 67, 68, all these, you know, right in the same little time frame, all during this right. UFO boom. But um, it was in Ohio. And Richardson claimed that he collided with a UFO while driving, which is not something you typically think you're going to hit when you're driving down the road. That's a weird insurance claim. Yeah. 
Can you imagine? <laughs> Call it Jake <laughs> from State Farm. Hey. Right. You'll never you'll never believe this, but I swear it's true. Uh, yeah. And he's like, what are you wearing? <laughs> yeah. Space suit. What? Yeah. What's that? Um, we we cover it all because we've seen it all. Yeah. I don't think right. I don't think you've seen this. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are farmers. Oh, but. However, when Richardson hit this object, it vanished. But after the crash, Richardson took home a small lump of metal that he believed was from the UFO and not his own car. Only a week later, Richardson said he was visited by two men in black suits who asked for the piece of metal he had collected from the scene of the crash. When Richardson told them he had already given the piece of metal to the authorities for testing, they, he said that they threatened his wife. He never heard from the men again after that, and he had no idea how they could have known about the piece of metal. So yeah, that, that's weird. And that's a, that's a common thread with the men in black, is that they know details about either your experience that maybe you have not shared, but yet they seem to know. You know, and that that goes along with Dahl's story where they were telling him, mm-hmm. you know, supposedly we know, now you know that that we know a lot more than you think we should, right? You know, it's and that's like a government line, you know. We we know what's sure. going on, you, and and it's very unnerving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even if they don't. Just to say something like that to somebody and produce a little bit of evidence that you might will unnerve people to no end. So it's a good tactic to use if you're out to scare somebody, especially to say it to look for a reaction. Right. I'm going to I'm going to drop this right here and I'm going to see how this person reacts to it. Mm -hmm. So. You know, Richardson said he did not tell anybody about this other than who he gave the medal to and next thing you know these people are showing up so either the person he gave the medal to if he if he really did you know ratted him out or these guys knew something more than they should have right now these these encounters get stranger and stranger in 1976 dr herbert hopkins a doctor who was studying a UFO incident had an encounter with the men in black and Hopkins received a phone call from a man who identified himself as a representative of a New Jersey UFO organization. The man asked Hopkins if he was alone and available to discuss his research. Hopkins agreed to talk with him. And by the time they finished discussing what Hopkins had found, the man from the phone call was walking up his stairs to his door. Oh, great. Now, that's a neat trick with, with, yeah, right. without a cell phone. Hopkins' description of the man who appeared at his door is perhaps the most unsettling of any reported MIB sighting. He said the man wore a neatly tailored black suit, was bald with no eyebrows or eyelashes, and had smooth, dead-white plastic skin and ruby-red lips. Now, Hopkins claimed 
that the MIB took out a coin and told him to watch it. As he watched it, it started to develop a silver color instead of copper. And then the silver became bluish and the penny was beginning to get really fuzzy, out of focus or blurred. And then it was simply gone. He said it was like it dematerialized. Hopkins said after that, the man ordered him to destroy his UFO research. And, and that, again, that, that brings up another common thread with the men in black is this threatening behavior. Um, right. Stop what you're doing or else. We, and they do something to like prove it to you right before they say something like that. Yeah. They do like the coin or, or, or some type of tactic to let you know they're powerful in some way. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's, it's intimidation. You know, what, mm-hmm. what can we do that would frighten you enough to stop looking into this stuff? I mean, it's like those stories that you hear in, in movies or old radio dramas where, hey, you're, you're, you need to leave well enough alone, see? You know, quit asking so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to have to play rough with you, see? Right, right, pretty much. You know, like they punch the guy in the gut and Mm -hmm. and they walk away and the guy's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I better stop, see? it's the same same thing. (laughs) (laughs) You like that? I'm using like the the James Cagney. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Kappa, see? (laughs) You'll never take me alive. (laughs) Now, this one, this one I really liked. I, I I loved this. Uh, the The next encounter happened pretty recently, and to somebody that you probably all know, Dan Aykroyd. Me? Yeah. Oh no, not me. <laughs> Look, if if the men in black come walking up my sidewalk, I got something. Yeah, right. I got something for them. <laughs> yeah. They don't do that in the South much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they get down to Ohio and they're like, we're not going any further. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but in January of 2002, Dan Aykroyd sold a series to the sci-fi channel called Out There, which would break serious ground revolving around topics like UFOs, crop circles, and alien abductions. And and if you've, if you've seen any... Thing on on Dan Aykroyd in the last twenty years, he is a big UFO enthusiast researcher. Yeah. He he does he does talks about it, um, and you know Dan Aykroyd is a pretty interesting guy. He I mean he's an authority on motorcycles, uh, vodka, all kinds of things. So you just kind of tack UFOs onto the list, and and when you hear him talk. He's so passionate about it, you you really you you get sucked in. You want to believe it. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows him, tell him he needs to make a guest appearance on Graveyard Tales. That's exactly right. We we would love to talk to him. But dur- on a break during interviews for the upcoming show, Aykroyd says he stepped outside and saw a black Ford sedan with a man in black standing outside it. He said he looked away for a brief moment, and when he looked back, the car was gone. 
Two hours after the car disappeared, Dan was given the bad news from the producers and was told that they weren't going to continue taping and that the show had been canceled and none of them would air. So That's weird. It is weird. And you want to believe somebody like Dan Aykroyd. And, sure. and I've, never, Especially, I've never seen an episode of Out There. Sounds like a nope. show that I would probably enjoy. Absolutely. And you especially want to believe him when it was a show that he was wanting to produce and had already gotten into it. He'd put, you know, invested time and money and everything into this show to get it produced only to be told that it was going to have to stop. It's not like he would just go, oh, yeah, I want to stop this. Yeah. You know, it it's something, especially coming from Dan Aykroyd, you know that that show would have taken off. So these people had to have been forced into shutting it down despite the revenue that it was going to bring. Yeah. Because you know it would have done well. Yeah. So it's not like they just went, oh, no, you know, we don't know who Dan Aykroyd is. We don't want to risk, take the risk on this show. They knew it was going to be a hit. Yeah. So I mean, especially what made them shut it down? This, I mean, this is right in in sci-fi's wheelhouse. Sure. You know, yeah. Two thousand two. I guess that was they were they were probably still up and coming. I don't I don't know how long Sci-Fi's been around, but I'm not if, sure if we're if we're talking about two thousand two, it it had to be it 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 had to be still in its early existence. It would have been a groundbreaking show for them at the time. Yeah to to have to have a celebrity as well known as Dan Aykroyd producing a show that absolutely one hundred percent it's what their programming would have would have yep. been then you know yep. i mean it's a win-win in in my opinion it'd be it'd be like you know reeling in leonard nimoy to come back and you know do in search of again or something right so right um yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense you know if if this if what the the story says is legit it doesn't make sense that they would just up and cancel it and then it coincides with Dan Aykroyd supposedly seeing a man in black. Right. Really weird. Really, really weird, weird timing. story. Now, the last one we're going to touch on is, is one of the most interesting of all of these. Um, and it was reported by Shane Sovar on October 14th, 2008. Now, Sovar was a hotel manager and a security guard reported seeing a large triangular UFO outside the building. A group called the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations Team, the APIT. (laughs) (laughs) They, They looked into it. Now, they, along with three other witnesses, reported that just a couple of weeks later, two unidentified men in black visited the hotel. The men in black terrified the hotel staff and were looking for Sovar and the hotel security guard. Now, luckily, Sovar and the guard were not at the hotel at the time, but cameras caught the men in black uh, on security footage. Mm -hmm. Sovar said the hotel guests described the men as tall with black suits, identical faces, no eyebrows or eyelashes, and extremely pale skin. So this is a weird video. 
I, I guarantee you more people have seen that video than think they have. That's right. That's right. They, they've seen it. It's, it's been attributed to something else. Um, but you, you have definitely seen this video and, and it is very, very strange. Um, to, to the point of being somewhat disturbing when you understand the backstory associated right. with it. Even without the backstory, it's weird to see. Yeah. But then when you tie in that backstory, you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. So we talk about all these experiences that people have had tied to either UFO research, a, a, a UFO eyewitness, and... And these guys showing up out of the blue to to put the kibosh on it all. Yep. So where are they coming from? Right. You know, what, what are what they? What are they? Are are they are they aliens that are working as some type of agency, inter intergalactic agency that working to you know pr- protect the knowledge of the existence of, of UFOs and aliens. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, or, or are they actual government agents from whatever government, multiple yeah. gov- governments working together to hide the truth from regular citizens to, yep. to keep now, it under if- wraps? To me, if you didn't have the weird physical descriptions, right. I would say, yeah, it, it looks like a government type scenario. You've got multiple men dressed nice coming to silence you to keep people from hearing the quote unquote truth about aliens. But then you add in the weird physical descriptions, which those could be legit or they could be something people have made up to embellish the story over time. Um, if you add that in, then it points to something non-earthly that is trying to silence the information about aliens getting out there. And that would explain why they know so much about incidents that nobody else would know. They, they're watching, you know, uh, something. Yeah. Tim- but I, I don't know. It, it, it just, it's weird and it, it's. It's almost like there's another theory that could be true that it's a disinformation agency, that they're not trying to silence you, but they're trying to get you weirded out enough to spread the story about this and it be something. And you're now talking about this when you're not focusing on the truth. Bingo. And to to me, that's where I land mostly. It's a disinformation agency. And you know what? What's funny is Adam and I did not discuss before the show what the other one thought about right. this. But we are exactly on the same wavelength here. That is exactly what I think. The the strange appearance, the strange behavior, the not knowing what jello is, that inability to use a, a knife and fork swallowing food whole mm-hmm. you know the the shaved head no eyebrows it's like how can we make this so bizarre that right. it becomes the focus instead of the ufo 
Exactly. And even if the even if UFOs don't exist, or even if seventy to eighty percent of the eyewitness reports are false, especially now, we understand how detrimental stories can be true yep. or false yep. you put it out there you, you you get attention and the next thing you know that story takes on a life of its own it, it is mm-hmm. it is exactly what Dahl and Chrisman expected to happen back in 1947 right. but in 47 information didn't spread like it does today and so you you have to find a way to to ring reel this in you you can't yep. you can't let this just explode either you're you're worried that it's going to cause panic or you're worried mm-hmm. that some some truth is going to be discovered whether it's the truth that aliens and ufos do exist and have visited this planet or the government or governments are working on something top secret that they just don't need the public to know about. Right. And in it was mistaken as a UFO, but if people keep looking into it, they might actually find out what it was. And we right. can't have that. So we send these weirdos all dolled up and perpetuate this idea that there is some alien or intergalactic agency that's going to come and convince you that you need to stop what you're doing. Yep. And if you think about it back in that time, you were going out on a limb anyway to say that you had seen a UFO, but then it started getting into the public consciousness that there might be that. So, what is the best way to discredit someone's story? It's to make them sound crazy. Right. To make them unbelievable to anybody. Yeah. So you get somebody that's telling these stories about, I've got this pale, weird-looking guy who tried to drink his steak through a straw, and he was shaking, and he told me he knew everything about my life and that I better not say anything. People are going to go, look, dude, you crazy. You have lost your damn mind. Yeah. And that's the best way to make sure people don't take them seriously. Yeah. And Adam, I don't think that, I, th- I think we have to at least touch on this because everybody's going to be expecting it. When we talk about the the movies, the, the men in black movies, which are loosely based on the men in black comics. So a lot of people didn't realize that the Men in Black movies were based on a comic book because there was only seven years between the first published issue of the comic book and the release of the Men in Black movie. Mm-hmm. If you weren't already into comic books, the likelihood that you're going to know about an essentially brand new one um, was probably pretty small, you know, right. especially sure. for a big blockbuster movie that everybody went to see because it had two huge stars at the time in it. Yeah. Um, and look, I love the movie. Me too. But it it it, it does it it does not encompass, you know, essentially what we're we're talking about. Um, you know, Tommy Lee Jones and and Will Smith, 
they're they're not they're not threatening anybody. You know, they're not trying to convince people that they should stop what they're doing. You know, they were twofold. One, protecting the the planet from invading aliens, but also keeping the secret that not only were we possibly under threat of alien attack, we lived with them. They lived among right. us, which, you know, is cool. Um, and, and who knows that might very well be what the real men in black do. Um, but never know. But they, they want people to quit looking into it. Let it go. Yep. You know, they don't, they don't want any, any more research. They don't want any more interviews and investigations. They want you to just stop. And mm-hmm. the, the movie was, you know, a campy take on it, you know, g- right. good movie, but you know, different than what we're really talking about with these, uh, these personal experiences and stories. Mm-hmm. And so that brings us to the point in our show where we ask you guys, what do you think the men in black were, are, will be, all those things? Do you think they were a government agency? Do you think they're aliens? Do you think they're a government agency that is a disinformation branch, like Matt and I think they, they were? to totally discredit a witness or do you think they were something else and let us know hit us up either email go to the website and drop us a note that way or hit us up on all sorts of social media where we're at yeah and this was a fun one because i'm sure there's a lot of people that didn't realize that this the men in black had such an ominous origin Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is a more modern thing from you know 1947 to the modern day. Um, what do you think? You think it's something just totally made up? Let us know. As Adam said, you know we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can get in our Facebook group where we see discussions like this every single day, and you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. and on the website you can purchase some pretty cool graveyard tales merchandise you can listen to the show and you can become a patron and we always want to thank those that have donated to the show because it it really yes thank you really allows adam and i to keep pushing out content for you guys um and i i think that's about it for the men in black so Mm -hmm. until next time we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. No, it wasn't me or Matt. <laughs> did you like that? You're I did. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> I'll put that at the end on the outtakes. <laughs>
<laughs> now, Sovar was a hotel manager and a security guard. Rep- <laughs> 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 